Hello, my friends. Thank you so much for tuning in to Operation Tango Romeo, the Trauma Recovery Podcast. This show is for veterans, first responders, and their families, and honestly, for anybody who wants to recover from trauma. We are on a mission to save lives and relieve pain by making help for PTS injuries easily accessible. Our vision is of a world where the path to recovery is clear. Please help with this mission by following and rating this show on either Apple Podcasts or Spotify. This simple action will help others find help for PTS injuries. Your help in promoting this podcast could be saving a life. And we are rocking and rolling in my favorite way, live in studio. Todd, thanks for being here, brother. Thanks for the invitation. Well, it's good to have you on, man. Uh, we've only got together once before at Hubtown That's and right. uh, tilted back a couple of pints. And that must have been a while ago because I don't drink anymore. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm on two years. So it's more than two years ago that we sat down and uh, got to know each other a little bit. Yeah, I think it was in, uh, it would have been late 2018, early 19. Yeah, something like that. And the whole time I didn't realize you're in Haggis. <laughs> Son <laughs> of a bitch. And I'm a fan too, which is oh, the right funniest on. part. Yeah. But um, uh, for our non-Okotokian audience, uh, Haggis is the local band. Uh, they're they're the, everybody's favorite band <laughs> in, awesome. in Okotoks. And uh, my wife and I have seen you guys perform, God, I don't know, a dozen times maybe, like a lot. And uh, uh, it's, it's always good. It always gets the crowd jumping and, and pumping. The, the people here love their music, and I just, you want to talk about a generous crowd as far as, you know, when they come out to a show... Um, they're, they're ready to go, and, and they, they want to dance. And even post-pandemic, we, we did a gig at the George just at St. Paddy's Day. Two songs in, the dance floor was full. And, I was there for that one, too. Yeah, man. <laughs> and it was almost like, uh, you know, everyone put the, uh, the fear of the pandemic behind them for, for a couple of hours. And, uh, you know, it felt really normal, if we can use the term anymore, you know. Yeah, I, I don't know if normal's ever going to happen again no. you know or whatever that is it's um the ripple effects is going to be for years oh, and, for sure. and i don't think we're going to get a full understanding of the downstream effects until we're downstream at uh, the effect it's had on little kids especially you know uh the kids that started grade one in the beginning of the pandemic and their first two years of school was all messed up and with fear around every corner it's um that that's not good you know, that's, uh, we'll, we will see the downstream effects of the trauma of that. And if people don't think that's dramatic, it's just a mask. Well, <laughs> unfortunately, we're going to be in a position where I'm told you so, and uh, there's going to be no avoiding it. I certainly think the, the kids from kindergarten to up to six years old, seven years old, 10 years from now, it could be a blur, but it's the, the, the kids that are that six, eight, six years old to 12, Certainly will feel it. And then I also think about what about the, the, the kids coming out of high school, going into university or college or, or becoming adults, like spending their grade 10, 11 and 12 years going through this. Um, you know, they're, they're going to be thrust out into the big bad world, missing two very uh, fundamental uh, training sessions, so to speak, you know, from from education perspective and some life skills. I mean, like that was life interruptus, you know. It was, and people got weird. Mm-mm. You know, people changed, and uh, that's what fear will do to you. Yeah. And <clears throat> and it, unfounded fear for, for anybody, you know, under the age of 30, mm-hmm. 
you know, um, if you're under the age of 30 and you don't have extra things going on medically wise, you're fine. Like you're good. (laughs) Everybody in my family had the bug. We all had it. And, um, for some of us, we just brushed it off like nothing. For me, it was a little bit of a rougher because uh, one of the downsides of PTSD, I'm always holding anxiety, whether I'm aware of it or not. I'm always holding this anxiety. And that brings down your, uh, with the increased cortisol, it brings down your immune system. So with uh, immune system that's always compromised, which is my case, <laughs> it hit me pretty good. Mm-hmm. And, uh, oh, it's a man cold. Nope, nope, I can't. I've lost my sense of smell. Not a man cold. And, um, but even then, you know, uh, three, four days and back to her, not too bad. Yeah. I I had it. I got it in January and it knocked me down for about a week. Yeah. Wicked headache, sniffles, um, you know, and, and my wife and some were in the house, we were at close quarters and they came away with, without being testing positive. Like they were all negative, which was great. I mean, granted you do, you know, when you, when you find out that you were, that you were positive, I mean, you take continue the extra precautions sure. of washing your hands and keeping them out of your mouth and stop yep. picking your nose and rubbing on stuff. You know? Picking your nose and eating it? <clears throat> Try to avoid that? Yeah, well, sometimes better than the rat pack. So <laughs> <laughs> At least you know the source. <laughs> but, um, yeah. No, no, but, you know, as coming back to, to the music real quick, um, we find that, like, we're in a time right now, um, and, and we are, you know, we love we love playing in Okotoks, and, and we're... A pubadelic band. Like, we're going to actually start writing some music now because we've been inspired by numerous things over the last years. And, and I guess because now we're all over 50, um, you know, it's no longer about just filling the bars up and <clears throat> playing the top 40 stuff. I, mean, I, got, I got to learn the tin whistle and join right, the band. <laughs> right? Yeah, man, totally. And a Balron. I mean, if you can play the Balron and the tin whistle. Well, then... I can play the Balron, <laughs> and I have a Balron. I'm not going to say I could do it well. I just bash away at it with a big grin on my face. Well, Mark, when I started uh, with Haggis, like it, was, it, it, was, it all ended up as um, it was an accident. <clears throat> I was living in Millerville, went up to the black. I was working at... Uh, um, a PMU barn <laughs> where they would, you know, get the pregnant Mary urine uh, for, for birth control. <laughs> this was back in the late nineties after I got out of the military. Right. Yeah. So, um, but <clears throat> went to the black diamond hotel one night and there's a fellow playing, uh, playing guitar and he had a fiddle player there and they played farewell to Nova Scotia. So being a Newfoundlander in Southern Alberta in black diamond, and then somebody <laughs> plays farewell to Nova Scotia, I'm singing along. And then the guy came over after a set and he goes, you knew all the words. I'm like, buddy, I'm from Newfoundland. I got a Balron. He goes, <laughs> go get it. So I went and got it, brought it back to the Black Diamond Hotel. We played it, sat in with him with just the Balron. Um, and then the next night he says, well, come back. I want to chat with you on Saturday. So I did. And then we got our first gig, St. Patty's Day at Oregon's Pub in Okotoks, which is no longer. That's where Roma, the restaurant is now next to Wheel Life Cyclery. Um, but that would have been St. Patty's 1998. Nine was it was it would have been our first gig uh, as haggis, and uh, I only played the Bowron and I was only getting paid in Guinness, <laughs> right? Because I mean, I, like I wasn't I wasn't uh, a trained musician. I was just a, a hack, loved to sing and and play and yeah, you know, and and eventually it evolved where he moved on and then you know Mike Durbrook came on within the first year of haggis uh, getting together. So Mike and I and uh, Fred and Kristen were playing and we do corporate stuff and. But then when when um, when Fred and Kristen left, Mike and I said, you know what, we want to keep it going. And then we brought Jeff in, 
I mean, he, and Jeff and Mike are both music teachers here in the Foothill School Division. Yeah. Well, obviously, me being a hack, playing with <laughs> with two music teachers, I'm not getting away without doing some homework and and, and, step, <laughs> and stepping up my game, right? <laughs> so, yeah. So then, fast forward to 2022, and here we are. I mean, we've we've had some people join and leave over the years because really, what Haggis is is a if I can use the term, a band of brothers, right? I mean, like we've had yeah. some some females in there, so it could be a band of brothers and sisters. Yeah. Surrounded it's a by, family band. Surrounded by a family community, exactly, right? Yeah. And we want to play what you want to hear. I mean, we're going to write some stuff that may be for folk festival kind of stuff, but yeah. you want to hear it. The reason we play all the music we do is because you've told us that's what you wanted to hear. And and you give it, like the, the community gives us back in spades all that energy and all that positivity and support that it just drives us. And it's, it's such a, an amazing experience. I'm getting goosebumps even thinking about it now. Like <laughs> the uh, St. Paddy's gig, it was quite, uh, it was quite cathartic. It re- like people were ready and uh, why not, you know, at the end of, of a pandemic, have a, a little light to, to, to start 2022, right? Well, it's part of the self-care that people have to be doing. Mm-hmm. Um, they have to be looking after themselves, find joy, find a way to put a smile on their face. And, uh, you can't just be sitting in your shit all the time, you know, yeah. and, you, know it, you can't be having, uh, Pollyanna, you know, uh, sort, sort of life, but you have to treat yourself to things like going out to live music or whatever it is that somebody loves mm-hmm. for me, live music and me and the wife for sure. Um, and arm wrestling is my new love. <laughs> really? Yeah. I'm falling in love. I got the, we'll, we'll try out on the table upstairs. I'm good. Thanks. <laughs> I got, I got a gig tonight. And if I pull something, that's, <laughs> which I suspect is going to happen. <laughs> well, that, that, that's what we call the sport. We call it pulling. Arm wrestling is pulling. So, yeah. but uh, I was just at practice last night with my son. And that's something that we could do where that the pandemic couldn't take away from us. Right on. Yeah. You know, cause I just built my own table. I got some elbow pads and stuff online and, Built my own damn table. It's two inches too tall, but other than that, it's beautiful. And um, that's what I can do with my boys, you know, while we're here. And everybody thinks, oh, that's so cool and it's fun and uh, and people enjoy it. What we're trying to do right now is uh, we're set up, the, the Calgary Rams Arm Wrestling Club is set up at the Veterans Association Food Bank. Oh, right And uh, Marie was kind enough to provide us the space, and I, I hope the relationship works out with us. But... Uh, the crowd last night was 20, which is the biggest I've ever seen at the club. And the idea is we got all these guys, a lot of them are professional arm wrestlers, and they're in the pro class and many champions that are there. So people that really know what they're doing. And that sense of connection and community is what we're trying to create uh, tied in with fitness. So hopefully uh, the vision is that Veterans are going to come in and enjoy the space, learn how to arm wrestle, and enjoy the actual connection. When you're a musician, the actual frequencies that you're creating, the entire room join. I'm getting tingles just saying this. Um, the entire room starts um, vibrating at the same. They share that frequency. That's why the power of a drum circle, I, I believe. So when everybody is vibrating at that frequency, everybody's connected. Because they're all sharing that frequency. Do you feel? I'm feeling chills right now. I, 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 that's exactly what we felt <clears throat> coming back to it after a couple of years off at Patty's, right? I mean, yeah. and and the thing is that we also structure our set lists to not <clears throat> always punch them in the face with music and then try to keep them up at that level all the time. It's yeah. it's 
it's about familiarity. It's about blocking it off into genres. It's about uh, tempo increases and then giving them a break. You know, like there's there's thought that goes in behind it, but the reality is, is that all the favorites that people pick, we've got about 100, and, 100, 120 songs that we can pick from right now that are that are not ours. I mean, they're, you know, top 40 stuff and uh, cover tunes. Um, <clears throat> but when you look through that list, I mean, tonight we're going to, we're pulling out one hour set and it's going to be, every single one of everybody's favorite songs. Like they're going to, like it's going to range from. <clears throat> You're, are you playing at Hubtown tonight? Yeah, we're down at Hubtown tonight for that Ukrainian. Okay. Um, My uh, wife's got a cough or I'd bring her with me. Oh, is that right? Right on. Yeah. Well, you know, it was supposed to be outside because last weekend, I mean, we had 22 degrees, right? But the typical Alberta, it's minus 11 here today or whatever it is. But uh, we're going to haul it inside. And uh, Klim uh, from the uh, Jack Butler Society is organizing this. And he asked us if we wanted to join in along with a couple of other artists. What's, uh, tell me about that society. Uh, the Jack Butler Society is actually the name of the band. Oh, okay. Yeah, Jack Butler. I, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Crossroads, but the Jack oh, Butler yeah. was the devil's guitar player, right? So No way. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah at least I think that's how the legend goes. Uh, Clem, if you're listening, I, I got it wrong. I apologize, brother. <laughs> but yeah, Clem, um, his, uh, his mom is, um, again, small world here. So I'm, I'm on the executive at the Legion, or I was last year on the executive at the Okotoks Legion here, but I'm, I'm a member. Actually, all three of us in Haggis are members of the Legion okay. um, in town here. But um, I was on a committee with, uh, with Bev Johnson, and, and it turns out that Bev is Klim's mom. <laughs> right? So, you know, Klim calls me out of the blue. I never, I've never met him, but he's a musician. Uh, and through the connection, military connections and his mother, uh, with, through the branch at the Legion, you know, he reached out to us. And of course, you know, I mean, it's, it's not hard to rally rally the troops when there's a, a common cause needing, needing some attention in, in the community. And whether it's a fundraiser for the Red Cross or, you know, food bank or whatever. I mean, uh, if, if we as Haggis, or we've made a commitment now as we're getting in our 50s, we just said, you know what, it's either we're going to play the gig, um, you know, with the intent of entertaining people, but that's commercial kind of gigs, or we're going to do it for fundraisers. Like, that's what it's going to be. It's not going to be spreading ourselves too thin. We want to give back to the community, and this is a great chance to do it. Has Haggis done any gigs uh, as a fundraiser for Recycle Okotoks? Uh, no. No. We um, actually, so Recycle Okotoks was, was self-funded um, through the blessing of my chief financial officer uh, and wife. <laughs> so, so let's uh, uh, yeah. pause it there, because that, that was the, you know, one of the bigger reasons to have you on here, mm. is, is talking about that exactly. Um, so just to back up the bus, um, Let's talk about recycle Okotoks. How did it? How did you start it? Why did you start it? Great question. So, um, if if I may say, I came from very humble beginnings. Like my mom was a single mom. Parents split up when I was seven. Uh, thankfully, I mean, we were talking about resilience of children. The majority of that affecting me went like I remember being affected as a kid, but I don't remember how it affected me. But I just remember going without a lot. Like we had nothing. We were on social assistance and. It, single mom, two kids. So thankfully under the community, my grandparents, aunts and uncles, we kind of, the village raised me. Uh, and, and so my first bike wasn't a bike. I, I was the village idiot. Were you? Well, so was I, <laughs> but, but the village had one and I was, <laughs> yeah. And it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a pretty good moniker. I don't mind it. Um, but the first bike I got was given to me. And so I just thought, you know, uh, so fast forward to t- 2013, we move into like we move back to Okotoks, my wife and I, and we have son in tow, uh, and we have uh, we have some neighbors, and there's a couple of kids across the street that 
um, reminded me of me when I was their age and yeah. they, they didn't have a bike. So my son outgrew his bike and I asked him if, if we could give the kids across the road his bike. And he was three or four at the time. And he was like, yeah, absolutely dad. That's awesome. Then he says, let's go find another bike for another kid. So then we went up to the salvage center up the recite of the top of the hill. And like, there was a whole cage of them. So having been a mechanic in the military once upon a time, right? So I thought, you know what? I This is a great, great bonding opportunity for me and the boy. I'll show them how to fix bikes. We'll fix bikes and we'll give them the kids that can't afford them. And so that started <clears throat> for with a couple. I mean, that wasn't recycled, didn't start then, but we, we started giving bikes away in the community. So there's a couple here, a couple there. And then next thing you know, um, we moved from Cimarron to Westmount. <clears throat> we have a walkout basement that's undeveloped, and I've got storage now for bikes. <laughs> and before you know it, there's 60 bikes in the basement looking for homes, right, that, yeah. we've, that we've fixed. And um, so then I thought, you know what, a friend of ours, Christine Blanchard, said, you should go online with this and uh, put it on Facebook. I had to come up with a name. And because, um, like, now professionally in oil and gas, I'm, I work in environmental science. So recycle, reduce, reuse, repair – it's, it's a big thing in the, in the, in the environmental community. <clears throat> so I thought, well, cycle is in the word recycle. Let's make a play on it. And then we made up a logo which had my son's initial, my initial, and my wife's initial in it, and it came out to look like a bicycle. So the geek in the OCD and me started bringing all this together, and then we put it online, and within <clears throat> four years, we gave away 500 bikes. Oh, my God. Yeah, and then pandemic hit. Yeah. And then we started, uh, instead of doing that, uh, we would go to people's driveways and fix bikes at a distance because, you know, we were still in the early days of the pandemic, but summer 2020 was coming and bikes needed to be fixed and or given away. So we would do it in uh, driveways in exchange for uh, food donations for the food bank here in town. Yeah. <clears throat> and then Highwood Cycle got behind us, Ridley Cycle got behind us, Wheel Life Cycle we got in behind us, and they were donating parts and, and bikes that were turned in, um, and um, next thing you know, Highwood Cycle throws some money and a credit down at Ridley Cycle, so it starts gaining steam. Yeah. And uh, and now it's Recycle Okotoks technically is not running out of my house anymore. I've handed the torch off to Graham Campbell at Percy Pegler, and he has what they call full cycle now. And this is where he has the grade threes and fours and fives and sixes come after school two days a week. They fix bikes, and now the kids are learning how to fix the bikes, but they're also learning about the community charity and getting those things out to the community. I love that so much because uh, so many people can't pull a wrench anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I'm, we're not talking about rebuilding a diesel engine, you know, um, but even changing a tire and a bicycle, how to do it correctly, how, how to patch the tire, simple, simple stuff, how to pack uh, a wheel bearing, mm-hmm. you know, and they don't know how to do it. And what better way than with bikes to keep themselves on the road and give themselves a sense of uh, a contribution and purpose? Like it, it's just got to be a, such a legacy that you're leaving behind here. Todd. Well, it's, it's certainly a confidence builder, and, and you can see it in the kids. I mean, and and some of the kids. Uh, <clears throat> the other part of this is is that some kids um, are, are a little apprehensive about receiving charity, yeah, for for, for perception reasons or whatever. <clears throat> But in this situation that Graham's got going now, kids can actually earn the bike too. So, I mean, they can come in, uh, and you don't have to be a member of Percy Pegler School. This can be something you, you, you get in touch with me or Graham, and, you know, if you want to be a part of it, we'll find a way, right? 
Um, but uh, the kids can uh, pick a bike out uh, out of the ones that need to be repaired that have been donated. They fix it themselves, and then they can take it away. And and now they have a sense of uh, buy-in because they've done all the work on it. There's this isn't charity; they've earned this bike. And yeah. So and <clears throat> but in the community of uh, bike repair, they were just a part of a team fixing bikes for grander like for the grander good and uh, or greater good, and and uh, they just happened to be rewarded with be the privilege of taking one out of there and. Not only that, but they're not going to be in a throwaway society where if it breaks now, let's throw it out and get a new one. They're going to be, you know what? This cable's busted. I know how to fix it. Or chain's worn. That's why it's not shifting right. Like the kids know these things. And then Graham and his outdoor uh, education, he's got like a nature-based learning program. Uh, you can see the kids are ready for that kind of stuff too. They want that dirt under the fingernails interactive experience. Yeah, it's great to be online and <clears throat> savvy with coding and video games and stuff. Yeah but you still need to eat a little dirt. You know what I mean? <laughs> Get a little dust up the nose. and Yeah, and then uh, there's some amazing, amazing conversations that have with you. The kids are amazing, right? I mean, it's... And, and I'm glad to be a part of it. And I, my son is really, a, you know, he's 12 now, so he's kind of getting into the preteen age where, uh, you know, I'm, I'm cool with it. I know I can do it, but... We have a an old '66 Chev that or GM, I should say, uh, that that uh, we're going to start working on and going to car shows, and so he's going to start pulling starters and changing oils and pulling tires. Like he already rotates our tires for winter to summer. He he can do that at 12, but you know he's gonna he's gonna learn that you're out in the middle of nowhere in a 66 Chev and the thing won't start, you might want to get a hammer and smack on the starter, you know, that, that, that kind of stuff. Or, Why does that work? It just does. It just does. Yeah. yeah. And it still works. That's one thing in technology that hasn't changed. Hitting the starter with the hammer. Exactly. But you, might get you home. And, and, and he just, like my, my son has, uh, has uh, anxiety and, and he, you know, he has some attention deficit issues. But when it comes to, uh, it's taken on information sharing when we're just talking about the truck, leaning under the hood, father-son bonding moments. Um, he's fully absorbed, fully engaged, dialed in. And as a dad, like, I mean, you talk about getting tingles. Like, I l- like teaching your son how to arm wrestle. That's that's a connection that you can do um, in public or you can do it by yourself. But that's going to leave some lasting imprint on them, right? And something then they, they can share and teach and it can be replicated. And, and there are other groups out there to do it, but right now I'm doing it for him because I want him to be able to be, you break down the side road. This is how you take a, a tire off. You don't need to call AMA, you know, and, <clears throat> or if you see somebody that needs help, you've got a few skills that at least you can come in and, you know, have a look and see what you can do. Cause at some point in time, you're either going to need help yourself or someone's going to need help and somebody has got to do something. Yeah. Such basic skills that are getting more and more rare. Mm-hmm. My uh, stepdaughter, when it was time to uh, swap her tires out, uh, put on put on the winter tires. I was like, "Well, put on your jacket. Let's go. I'm not doing it for you. I'm going to do it with you." That's right. And um, but she learned the proper way, you know, and and how to torque and uh, you know, eighty foot pounds of torque or whatever we chose, and but the bolt pattern of how yeah. to do it and. Um, and then I screwed it up. <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, which is a great way to, as a reminder, because you don't do it every day, right? right? It's like, these are directional tread. I had to actually think about which one goes where. Shit. <laughs> the off the tires came again. And then, but that, if you don't have that little screw up, um, it, it doesn't really hit home that stop, take a breath, directional tread. You know, these, you can't just put this tire anywhere. 
But that was another lesson for her to learn that she wouldn't have learned uh, any other way. And it was a good reminder for me. It's like, shit. <laughs> but it also shows her that grownups can make mistakes too. Yeah. And it's okay. And here's how we deal with it. Right? Like, <clears throat> you know, you, it, there's no need getting upset about it. I mean, you, in the garage, knuckle busting, yeah, maybe the odd F-bomb falls out there. Right? But, I mean, and that's a part of being, and, and that's something else. I mean, my son's 12. Um, when we're in the garage or when we're driving down the truck, what happens in the truck or said in the truck stays in the truck. <clears throat> So, I mean, if, if I let a word slip or maybe he lets a word slip, that's a little bit of a bonding, bonding time too. <laughs> well, my, my stepsons, uh, they, you know, cause the first cars are going to be beaters like they should be. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so they got to fix brakes or, or whatever. So I'm out there to show them the first time, but after that, they don't want my help. They want to figure it out themselves totally. and bust their own knuckles. Yep. And that's great. You know, I mean, I, I learned in senior automotives in high school. And that's where I kind of figured it out, junior and senior automotives. And um, then after that, it was uh, like on the farm, which is where most people learn on the farms and acreages and, and doing it yourself, yeah. you know. But uh, they're perishable skills you can forget. And stuff that used to be easy and automatic, you sit there scratching your head and going, how the hell do I do this again? Well, once upon a time, we had to rebuild stuff. You couldn't just replace stuff, right? I mean, yeah. if you had an alternator blow on you, Chances are it got rebuilt. I'm talking. Uh, this isn't ten or twenty years. Yeah, ago. you get to, you get brushes and <clears throat> right. Or if you needed, um, you know, like I mean, and that's the thing with kids and bikes. It's easy to go into say a department store and spend 150 bucks on a bike that's been right out of the box assembled and ride it for a year. Something goes out of true, you know, like wheel gets a little wobbly or a gear is not shifting, and to send it up to salvage and go spend another 150 bucks because if you're going to go to and spend labor shops, labor rates at a shop, in some cases it might cost you 80 bucks to fix it. Yeah. And that's not knocking the shops because, I mean, like, it, sometimes it hey, takes two every, or three. Everybody's got to keep lights on. Well, and it's two to three hours worth of work. People don't appreciate that. But if you can learn some of those fundamental skills of maintenance yourself, you can prevent crash maintenance from happening, right? You go and keep her running, keep it out of the ditches and keep things true. And then when things get just out of reach for your skill set, that's when you get some help. And that might only be a $20 touchdown at the shop. And I got to be honest with you, you go to the bike shop, if it's a real quick, simple little fix that the you can lean on somebody with 20 years experience for, they might not even charge you for it. Like this community is phenomenal that way, right? Bike shops save the old chains that they take off of the, of the bikes and give them to Graham. Graham throws a new master link in there and now this bike has got a new chain, right? Still yeah. within spec and safety, but... You know, and this well, is, it's not like they stretch like a motorcycle chain. No, no. And I mean, you're not also doing 120 kilometers an hour plus. Yeah, if, if it blows, you're good. Right, exactly. Uh, and the worst case scenario is you're going to get a little bit of a chatter when you're shifting. Like how many kids even know what a master link is or, or how to, to, to use one or, or how to, uh, you know, the little pin press to, to uh, take a couple links out of a chain because it is stretched and yeah. putting in, put in a new master link. That's all stuff I was doing when I was 10. You know, but um, uh, people don't even know what I'm talking about. <laughs> well, I mean, and without getting too philosophical or, or you know, on, on the on the podium here, um, we are in a bit of a throwaway society, right? Where <clears throat> in some cases it's easier to replace something than it is to repair something, right? But um, but like you say, uh, you know, these long lasting skills. I mean, what happens? I mean, what we try to teach is if a kid's out in a trail and you break down. That's where you need these skills because you need to get home, right? Yeah. So what are you going to do then? Um, now, 
the average kid is not going to get further away from home than and and then they're in cell service anyway, so they're going they're going to get home right. But uh, but my my son when he fixes something like there's a little bit of bravado and puffy chest that goes on there. Look what and, I did, and, yeah. and, and he feels proud of himself. And man, I'm mean, yeah. I'm not going to take that away from him. Like why would you, right? I mean, good for you. You fixed it. You figured it out. I'd rather you fail forward. Fail forward, break it. What's the worst that can happen? Try it. If you lose a bunch of the bearings, <laughs> then we'll go find some new bearings. <laughs> yeah. But give her a shot, right? Why not? And then that's that's pretty much, you know, everything, all the messaging that we're doing, and actually so coming to, the, to, to mental health in general, a, a big part of the transition from like recycle to full cycle is connecting physical activity with with mental health right physical health and mental health making that connection and before i went to <clears throat> excuse me before i went to normandy uh for a wounded warriors ride in 2019 we did a, a fundraising awareness event at westmount school and at westmount school we had all the kids um cycle like they we um Natural High Fitness donated, uh, uh, loaned us a bunch of sp- uh, spin bikes that they could, the kids could jump on. And each class came down and rode with me for a half an hour. So I, I rode for eight hours that day, and each class cycled through. And, and during that, we talked about foggy heads or physical activity or on a scale of one to ten, how do you feel right now? And, you know, the average person was two and three and I would ask again at the end and none of them were below seven, right? So, I mean, and so the leaving message then is, is if you guys feel upset or mad or foggy or confused or, you know, you feel like you're boxed in and going to suffocate, go for a ride or go for a run or a walk or do something. And you'd be surprised on, on, on uh, I mean, you wouldn't be surprised, but people would be surprised that sometimes that little bit of, of exercise, you can take that frustration and put it through your legs you know, and, and, and it's not going to, it may not fix it. There's going to be times when you need the help, but it's a, like a IAN stoppage, right? Your immediate action is give this a shot. If it doesn't work, then we'll go. We're talking about guns now when we see <laughs> IAs and it's immediate action drills, IAs and stoppages, yeah. weapon fires, weapon stops. What do you do now? I can't remember. Well, then you're going to die. So you better know. Yeah, yeah. See, talk about, you know, a little synapses connecting, right? I speak in metaphor a lot and analogies, and I know it drives people. Well, it's because you're a newfie. <clears throat> right? <laughs> newfies are the best storytellers in the world. English is my second language. Yeah, newfies and Irish. Yeah. And and uh, what's a newfie but an Irishman with his brains kicked out? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, this audience, about two-thirds is in Canada. You know, so about two-thirds of the obvi- audience uh, have a chance of knowing what a newfie is. Oh, yeah. But uh, the other 65 countries that, that tune in have absolutely no idea. So you might hear just a little bit of an accent on Todd, and that's a Newfoundlander accent. And not a very strong one, but it's, no. th- th- there's a little bit there. I'm going to have Tom Anderson on the show, who is uh, like f- small fishing village kind of newfie. You know, where, where I, I actually have to listen very carefully. Well, the dialects change all the way across. I mean, I've been in Alberta. <clears throat> when I got posted here, uh, I got posted to Alberta in 1990. And and I was right off the rock then. Actually, when, when I went after Cornwallis, um, went to Borden for some PAT training and then ended up uh, getting sent to Saint-Jean-Quebec for... So uh, Cornwallis is uh, basic training. At least yes. it used to be. It isn't anymore. No. And uh, the rock is Newfoundland. And it's not Newfoundland. It's Newfoundland. Yeah, Newfoundland. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and and but I I ended up in in Saint Jean Quebec as 
an English student in in the uh, Cold Technique des Forces Canadiennes, right, in the technical school, to become a mechanic. And um, too powerful, I say. Uh, well, I got a, enough to get me in trouble, but it's been long enough now that the best thing I can do is ask for je veux un grand poutine avec plus sauce pour partir. Oh, yeah, that's I'd pretty good. Get the extra gravy on the poutine, and I'm good to go. Um, but <laughs> I'll stop tapping on the table. <clears throat> um, but Sorry. yeah, we. Um, but being in Newfoundland, of being from from Newfoundland in Quebec, we arrived on Saint Jean Baptiste Day, and I had like my dialect was Avalon Peninsula. So you show up, and he's like, what are you at, boys, right? Oh, my Jesus, I'm good to be here in Quebec. Look at all these tall buildings. Holy Christ, look at the size of them. I'm some hungry. Want to get some Kentucky Fried Chicken? <laughs> right? And uh, and I'm sure you get a couple of beers in you, and, and, and the newfie comes oh, right out of you. Well, you come to the show, because yeah. you can't play a bunch of Great Big C or, you know, the Irish-influenced tunes without, without that, right? And uh, so, like, in general day-to-day conversation, the dialect, sticks with me with the hard R's, you know, car, far, bar, right? <laughs> Which is right across the Maritimes. You exactly. Know, give my care. Yeah. It's, uh, you hear the, the same R in uh, all over Nova Scotia or New Brunswick, get in the car. But you go to Tim's in St. John's, and, and this is what I love about going home. Like, we go home every year. Like, my, uh, my in-laws are still in, in Conception. That's not a cheap trip. No, it's not. Thankfully, uh, WestJet points get us there the majority of the time and my in-laws live in <clears throat> in conception bay south i still have family in newfoundland and conception bay south and some on the west coast but you go to tim hortons you pull up and you know you're in newfoundland when the lady on the other side goes welcome tim hortons my love what can i get you for you darling <laughs> God, yeah can i get a double double and a couple of muffins yes sweetheart just pull up pull up to the drive now my trout <laughs> Like, my trout. Huh? Yeah. So, as a, as an infantry soldier, I'm pretty much an honorary. I'm half newfie because you can't help it, right? right? You can't swing a dead cat without hitting three newfies, no, uh, right. especially anywhere in the military. That's right. But actually, let's rewind to that. Um, so, to say that you grow, grew up underprivileged is uh, is pretty accurate. Um, that is a story right across the Maritimes. Yep. And that is why so much of the Canadian military is there for economic reasons. Having a, a good job that you can stick to and have for your whole life in Newfoundland or really anywhere in the Maritimes, it's, uh, it's a bit of a challenge, more of a challenge than most of the country, which is why the military is packed full. And I think especially combat arms, uh, yeah. certainly the infantry. Yeah. That, uh, we, we'd see it in basic training, for sure, where people were going land, air, and sea. Uh, st- lots of maritimers going in every direction. But in the infantry, Lord jumping. The, you know, just tons of maritimers there, and in particular newfies. And the, um, the newfies pretty much all the time were, uh, were good stock. You know, uh, good stock, salt of the earth, decent folk that knew how to work hard, laugh and party, and and not take anything too seriously. You know, that's a, why is that about the newfie culture? Would you say? Well, that's a, that's a really good question. I mean, hard hard times, as Ron Hines would say. Uh, I do want to. I know if anyone's listening to Newfoundland. They're cringing for wanting to correct you a couple of times. And Excellent. The Maritimes does not include Newfoundland. Well, I know that. It's <clears throat> so a technicality. It's Atlantic Canada. So just so we say it, so it's been said, and we can still go back to the Maritimes. We'll call it. Well, that's fine. I mean, yeah. I, that, I is, that is a technicality. <clears throat> yeah. It got past me. I knew better. But in, in Newfoundland, and, and it's funny you say that because when I 
went to the recruiting office in St. John's, there was a three-year waiting list for everything. It didn't matter what. Like, I mean, you could what go, year did, Where did you, did you get in? I signed up in uh, 89. Oh, okay, just before me. And but I didn't get I didn't get course loaded to Cornwallis until uh, ninety oh six. Uh, sorry, course course number was ninety oh six. So you're a year before me in in Wally World. Yeah, um, but in Newfoundland, the, like the, you're right, the economics down there, um, it, offshore, it was either fishery, farming. There wasn't a lot of industry. Like you know, they were the uh, oil industry was not really in its infancy, but as far as big demand and job opportunity, <clears throat> there wasn't a lot there. So if you weren't going to school to become a doctor, a nurse, an engineer, uh, or or going to a trade school for something that was immediately employable, you know, the electricians, the plumber, the mechanics, <clears throat> um, there was limited job opportunity. Because, I mean, you got people spread all over the province. It's coastal, so it's not like you have centers with a million, two million people in it. I mean, St. John's, I don't know what the population was, but that's the largest center, and then it's Cornerbrook, and then, you know. Yeah, it's the largest center, and I think it's under 300,000. Well, there's about 500,000 moose, so there's probably one, you know. (laughs) (laughs) There's there's more, there's a one-to-one ratio for animals to people in Newfoundland, but uh, that's why there was always, like when I was growing up, people went to Toronto. They moved to Ontario to get work. Hamilton, you know, Toronto, and it was very, and, and a lot of that was factory workers or, skyscraper uh, like steel worker being up in that the height but a lot of newfoundlanders didn't go to seafaring trades because they grew up around the ocean and and you don't want to fight the elements and the job right so i mean that's yeah. why a lot of the newfoundlanders when they went they joined the military back in you know for first and second world war <clears throat> would would join the air force or they would join the army or the artillery the infantry because they knew that, you know, if you're going to join the Navy, a lot of Prairie Boys joined the Navy. Yeah. Because they, oh, this is going to be great to be on a boat, not realizing, you know, the tempest that the sea is, right? And, uh, but when I joined, I actually had to leave Newfoundland, I, uh, and I went to Ontario, and my aunt and uncle were posted to Ottawa, both in the military. They got posted to Kingston uh, when he got back from the Golan, and I joined in Kingston. And that's, and, and I got course loaded in three weeks. If I had stayed in Newfoundland, it would have been, uh, there was a three-year waiting list. So I had to leave the province in order to to further that, you know, chasing that career with the military, right? It's got to feel good uh, going home every year, though, smelling that salt air. Oh, Nothing you, like it. Buddy, Lakes don't do it. No, you get there. I mean, you smell it as soon as you get outside the airport because, I mean, you know, they built the airport in the possible, the worst possible place right, <laughs> that fogs in. At least now they have the navigation. But And depending on the time of day you fly in, if you do the red eye, you get it at 8 in the morning. Um but if you fly in and you get in after lunch, you're hitting Chess's Fish and Chips. That's the first stop. So you want a big feed of chips dressing and gravy to get those arteries starting to thicken up, you know. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, great food. But it's uh, the salt air, the beaches. And, I mean, the, and the music culture downtown. We go down, like, you know, we have we have a lot of success here with, with Haggis. But, I mean, the level of talent that exists in the St. John's music scene, it's ridiculous. Like, they're all triple a plus musicians and guys like fergus o'burn are going in and and dwayne andrews are going into uh, o'reilly's pub and and just playing and jamming mid-afternoon around a musician's table but yet you bring them up here and they'd pack a stadium you know what i mean like it's it's uh it blows my mind that uh the humble sense uh of of the musicians and the musical uh, 
community in St. John's. I mean, in Newfoundland in general. But. My heart weeps for any, but for so many people that have never experienced a Newfoundlander kitchen party. Oh, buddy. <clears throat> you know, or uh, been in a Newfie's garage that there's no cars in there. Or a shed. Yeah. <laughs> you know, have a shed party. Have a shed party or garage party. And um, it, it's a sense of community. Absolutely. I, like hard times makes for hard people and also makes for people that are connected to each other and that rely, like we, you need your neighbor. Mm. And that's Newfoundland, you know, where neighbors do look after their neighbors. It's still that way. You come out here, and if you say somebody, like, yeah, this is my buddy's from Newfoundland, and then, like, he said, well, well I, I, for my first question is, what part? Yeah. And as soon as he retorts, I'd probably, do you know this person? Because, like, there's, you know, whether it's the absolute community, like, in, in Conception Bay South, there's many communities. There's Conception Bay South, Central, and North. But in Conception Bay South, it runs all the coast, and I think there's... The answer is usually, that's my cousin. <laughs> married her right <laughs> it's good enough for our family uh, but uh, you know chances are you know somebody and so i went to like, let's talk about normandy real quick there's a hundred canadian soldiers and ex-soldiers and some civilians through wounded warriors go to france to ride to raise money and uh, for for ptsd services for wounded warriors or for funding for those programs of those hundred three were from conception bay south of the three of us um, one was the fire chief of the local fire department there that I was a volunteer at in 1988. So he's now the chief of that department. The other guy went to school with a bunch of friends of mine, but there was a fourth person that lived in Ottawa that was military. And she was the best friend of my cousin. Like, it, so, you know, you talk about six degrees of separation, right? Yeah. <clears throat> and, uh, it was there's, just, there's only two of those degrees. In <laughs> That's right, and they're and they're in a circle, and they're and they're in a circle. <laughs> That's right, yeah, yeah. yeah but so I mean, it's a small world within Newfoundland community, and the reality is, if you were to go to Newfoundland now and you were to go to see like down to Conception Bay South, uh, I could call up a couple of friends and say, "Listen, I got a buddy uh, that's coming down for a visit. Can you hook him up?" And whether you stay at their place or they become a de facto tour guide, I mean, you know, we're you're prou- covered. We're proud of our rock. We're proud of our culture and community, and. Uh, like, you know, you, you go into any, any area anywhere west of, uh, you know, west of Cape Breton. West, let's say west of port bass because I want to include Cape Breton. I'm not trying to exclude them. Cape Breton is as close to Newfoundland as you're going to get, right? But <clears throat> the, 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 that community and generosity and, and uh, sense of uh, pride carries on. I mean, and I've been gone 30-odd years now, right? So, I mean, technically... I've been here longer than I ever lived in Newfoundland. I, I left when I was 18, 19. How's the population in Newfoundland doing? Are they still pouring out? Is it stable? Is it going up? Is it going down? Do you well, know? Well, you know, pre-pandemic, there was a lot of fly-in, fly-out because of uh, the oil sands like Fort McMurray and the oil and gas industry. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so people would go home for a couple of weeks on their hitch and then come back because the economy and everything was set up to do that. I don't know if the same fly-in, fly-out's going on. I do know that... There's still a healthy oil and gas industry down there, but that's offshore now. So you're flying east versus west. But um, if you were, to, if if you can use the litmus test uh, or looking at a litmus test of big trucks, big houses, toys, as as how the economy is looking, I mean, it looks pretty good. But optics, you know, can sometimes be deceiving. I mean, just because you have all the toys doesn't mean you're you're doing well. But no. but a lot of fellas, uh, my my buddies that moved back are doing really well, and and they're not in oil and gas. They could be in IT, 
They could be, uh, you know, environmental science in, in some of the trades that weren't available to us back when I left. Right? Tin whistle manufacturing. <laughs> we go back to Clark for Ireland for that. We don't, <laughs> no, we make, the whistles we make is right tick, right? They're not tin, the right tick. Tough crowd. I could hear the crickets even, and this oh, yeah. is the one way. <laughs> if I'm not following you, nobody else is. Right, thin. Newfoundland, you would say oh, tins, yes. right tin, not, not right tick. What do you say when you see a moose in Newfoundland? Oh, look, look. What do you say when you see a baby moose? Oh, look. <laughs> as long as you're not driving, because <laughs> chances are it's like, Jesus. <laughs> I almost got hit by a car looking at a rabbit yesterday, driving my kids to their mom's place. It's like, hey, look at the rabbit. Oh, shit, traffic. Yeah, don't, yeah. don't look at the rabbit. Yeah, well, I mean, my, my sense of, of attention deficit, I'd be looking at the rabbit. Right? <laughs> Squirrel, you know, you name it, uh, I'm there, right? But, what did it mean to you, Todd, to um, get that recent award? being on the front page of the Okotoks paper. <laughs> well, I mean, the first thing that comes to mind uh, is that that was a really big picture. And I, I do want to thank, like, uh, Brent Calvert at the... At Brent's the a, I just saw him the other day. Yeah, good guy. great guy. Um, and um, him and the wheel, uh, and, as, and as well as Harrison and Logan over at the radio station, like, they're always really generous about community events. So They are. You know, whether it's a, uh, some kids picking bottles to raise money for the food bank. Or Sorry, uh, for the audience. The wheel is the Western wheel. It's the local newspaper. And all the names he just uh, uh, dropped are reporters for the Western wheel. Uh, know them all. Well, most of them. They're a good, good bunch yeah. and uh, are so great at covering the community events. Yeah, and the Eagle 109, 100.9, our radio station yeah. here in town. Uh, again, uh, with, with Logan and, and Harrison uh, over there, they're... Like again, genuinely interested in community activities. So yeah. there's um so when they when they um, contacted me about that and Brent took the picture and then showed me the scale of the picture on the paper, I'm like, you know, I, I don't mind a feature because that press is great for both the Legion and both veterans and all all the things that you know you're that got you there, the thing you know, um, but. <laughs> uh, less, needless to say, I, I've I've had the piss taken out of me a few times about that. And even to the one where I, I went down to uh, um, the park where they were doing the pump track um, community open house session, and Brent was there. And as soon as I walked in, he goes, for fuck's sakes, don't tell me you're involved in this too. <laughs> and I said, no. And he goes, what, you just want to get on the page for no particular reason? Is that what it is? <laughs> but uh, the award was the, the Minister of Veterans Affairs uh, commendation, and I had no idea it was coming. Like my, uh, my Do you know wife, who uh, put it forth? Uh, yeah. So my, uh, in it, my wife and... Uh, a friend out of, that I went to grad school with, uh, Wayne Kraus, uh, he's also a member of the Legion in Vancouver. So through his branch, he founded the application. Uh, and then he engaged or conspired to chat with my wife to put in a nomination. They too conspired to get information from the local president of our local branch uh, at the Legion here in town to fill out an application. And that application process... I think it was 18 months. And now the process itself wasn't 18 months, but from the time they compiled the volumes of information required and submitted the nomination, it took 18 months. And then it was supposed to be presented in September and then it got delayed till March. But the commendation is, um, is basically a nod or an acknowledgement. And, and I'm just a figurehead on this one because there's so many people that are involved in all the things that I do in support of veterans, in uh, veterans' causes, whether it's the legions, whether it's wounded warriors, 
for mental health, uh, occupational stress injury stuff, any of that stuff, uh, I'm just a mouthpiece, right? I mean, like rallying people, but so this, that, that award was a nod from the Minister of Veterans Affairs for all the things that I was privileged enough to figurehead for, uh, you know, advancing these causes. And the, uh, they've, I think they said there was 1,400 of them that have been awarded across the country since 2001, since the warrant came out. Um, and it does come with like a commendation certificate, a lapel pin. And then if you do have uh, military decorations, there's a clasp that goes below your, uh, your service medals. Uh, that's the minister's commendation. So it, it was a, it was a great validation, a great nod. Um, does that uh, go as a post nominal as well? It could, uh, I don't know. I don't know either. Yeah. I mean, and, and, and it was, and typically I think the reason that, I mean, uh, they were wanting to do these in person typically. Uh, But the other, there were six nominees or six award recipients uh, at our presentation. Um, One reserve captain retired, um, two cadet cadre, uh, CLI instructors, uh, cadet instructors, cadre list, cadet officers. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I can say cadre three or four more times because it's a cool word, right? Uh, There was a lady... Makes me sound very intelligent. Yes, yes. Uh, Yes, I are smart. I was down at the cadre the other (laughs) evening with a brandy. Isn't that the guy that looks after the church? Oh, no, that's the padre. No, that's that's the padre. (laughs) He was part of the cadre. But, yeah, and and, uh, there was a like a television reporter celebrity um, that was, that was awarded. She's an honorary Colonel for her. Jalen Nye. J- yeah. Yeah. Jalen. Yeah. Yeah. So um, there was in Western Canada, there were six or at least I think Alberta, Saskatchewan, there were six nominees, uh, six award winners. And uh, we had a virtual presentation and minister Macaulay came on and, you know, said a few things, asked a few questions. Looking like, because it's, you know, like Max Headroom, because it's a virtual presentation. Yeah. Well, he was, uh, you know. Oh, for, God, who's going to get uh, that uh, right? reference? Nobody's going to get that damn reference that's under the age of 40. They can Google it. They can, you can Google Max Headroom, yeah. then you'll get the, you'll get it. Yeah. Or look up Dire Straits, uh, Money for Nothing, right? Oh, nice. Yeah. yeah I, think, good, I think Max Headroom. Good tie-in. Yeah. <laughs> right. But yeah, no, the, the award, so what it means to me is, um, when somebody go, when, when a group of people are willing to come together to go through that level of effort, well, any effort actually to, to thank you for, for doing something, which you don't do it for accolades. You do it because there's a cause that needs some support. And as long as I'm able to do stuff and I believe in the cause, I'm going to want to step forward and do it. And that's the lesson I'm trying to teach my son. But when somebody then from behind the scenes puts together, you know, all of this stuff to, to give you a little nod publicly. I mean, that, that's great validation. Um, it's a little more attention than I, than I care for. I mean, which is funny because, you know, when you sing in a band, you think, okay, you're a bit of a whore for attention, actually, right? Let's be honest. <laughs> you slut. <laughs> Todd, you ignorant slut. That's a Saturday Night Live reference for those. Uh, look it up. It's da- Jan and, uh, Jane and Dan. <laughs> but... But yeah, no, it's um, it, it means a lot. It's it's special, um, but it's still it's still a beacon in the office that says there's lots of work to be done. Right? There's, this is not something that has a beginning and an ending. Like mental health is a serious thing. Uh, it's a real thing. We have valid. I mean, we've known about it since conflict began. It's just we've called it different things, whether it's shell shock or whatever. But I mean, um, you know, I, I just I'm gutted 
that there even needs to be private money put up for PTSD services for, for mm. military and, and first responders. Yesterday I had a guy on, he's uh, one of the executives on the Save a Warrior program out of the States. There are 45,000 veteran organizations in the States. That's how big the problem is. And um, I don't know how many there are here. I don't know how to look it up. If anybody knows that number, please let me know. Um, but that's part of the reason that this show exists is to be an aggregate for the resources that are available. And so it's a one-stop shop, you know, whatever somebody is interested in, chances are I've had, you know, if not them, I've had their cousin on the show and, um, tune in and learn about that resource and decide if it's for you or not. And if not, well, I got another 215 episodes or whatever I'm Mm -hmm. at. Keep, keep trying. And, the, the biggest, it doesn't matter who I talk to, Todd, the biggest of all um, and, and the most effective of, of all the resources is peer support. Mm-hmm. Done right. And I always got to have the caveat. It's got to be done right. Peer support is um, a vulnerable sector thing. And if you fuck it up by being a douchebag by accident, and there's a lot of well-meaning, good-hearted douchebags out there, and they don't know it. They don't know that they're, that they're screwing it up. But when it's done right, there's nothing more powerful. And it's why I've fallen in love with arm wrestling. It's the, it's the connection. Like you're actually say, sharing each other's bioelectric field. When you have a, a good conversation, the better the quality of the conversation, we are sharing each other's bioelectric field. Like we are actually resonating with each other right now because we're having a good conversation. When you are on stage, uh, you are creating a bioelectric field that everybody joins in in on and resonates with and that's why everybody just has that yay and they're cheering for you because they're actually cheering for themselves Absolutely. and and they're cheering for the connection that's why it feels so fucking good yeah right it's why we can listen you can't watch the same tv show 40 times and be excited about it every time but you can watch haggis play the same songs 40 <laughs> times and and be a yeah uh, and, and never roll your eyes once you know you're, you're jumping and smiling and clapping and drinking well, I don't drink, but everybody else is um, every time. And you get, well, okay, I've been listening to this same song for 40 years. Why do I still enjoy it? It's because the resonance that it brings you to. That's why you still enjoy it. TV doesn't do that. Music does. That's the domain of, of, of music. And with the arm wrestling, I mean, you're actually locking hands with somebody. You know, like you are sharing each other's bioelectric field. And... Um, And then you're supporting each other by getting, because you're not at, you don't show up at the arm wrestling club to, to, to smash each other. You know, everybody knows who can smash and who Mm -hmm. can't. You're there to say, Hey, let's get you stronger. Let's get your skills up, you know, and you're there to lift each other up. And that's what a proper peer support group should be. So um, I don't know why I started on that, but, well, you know, but regardless of the modality, peer support is always the core and the most effective. It's the most powerful thing that we can have done right. And we've evolved like to where we are now to actually reducing the stigma or trying to take the stigma away from <clears throat> mental health issues and, and, and mental health support or, you know, go back to post-World War One, the first World War, the Great War, uh, that's why the legions, like most of the legions in Canada, were, were the, the, they, they were even founded because they wanted a place to go 
mm-hmm. that had a voting membership so that it wasn't punitive. Like it wasn't an officer telling you to go over the top. You know, this was a voting member of all the enlisted people. It was a very, a place where you could go and feel safe and talk about stories, but it was always about a big piss up. I mean, that I can remember, you know, yeah. usually remembrance day for us as a young soldier, uh, you go to the local Legion and that's when the, when I was posted to Calgary, they still had one on Richmond road. Um, you'd go there and, um, the old boys would buy the drinks, right? And the the guys with the massive racks of medals on their chest, they'd buy the drinks and we'd sit there and listen to them in awe. Uh, and then they'd talk about how soft we were and, you know, take the piss out of us. And, and they'd and be right. They'd be de- absolutely right. They'd absolutely be right. Yeah. yeah. And then, uh, then we'd, we'd stagger on back to the barracks, uh, Sarsi barracks and, you know, you'd, you'd do it again. But I mean, for them though, like they didn't have any, any socially acceptable ways or outlets because I mean, you were back then. I remember my grandfather never said a word. And he was, he was, uh, you know, he landed uh, as with the artillery in the second wave on D-Day. Like, so he, he landed in 30 days later because he was the big guns, the heavy guns. There's still a lot of fighting to get, you know, to get into, into Belgium and Germany. But, uh, you know, he never talked about it. His buddies never talked about it. But, you know, when they got in close quarters, they would relive some of those stories. And, uh, but they didn't have any, any way to close, or, close it or resolve the things that were keeping them up at night. You know, yeah. or the things that were affecting or causing them to want to drink to to bury the the memories or to numb the pain or or whatever. And you know, simply put, we we need the kids today to understand that okay, it's not just about world wars that that bring this these things to rise. I mean, like our first responders, you know, like absolutely police, police fire EMS, our our current military. I mean, like we're just people, right? They're going out and, and they're going out running into the face of danger to, to keep society safe, whether it's against aggression or in their worst and lowest possible time. But they're still people and they still have family so that when they go home and close their eyes, they replay those memories. And, and so they need help. And kids need to understand that even as a child, you may experience something that within your life experience could, could be deemed traumatic so you need some mechanism uh you know to to help but a kid can't articulate that and they're not kids don't have their own groups to do that so the adults need to do that for them and and if we can show kids that it's okay to acknowledge when your head is foggy and and maybe going getting out of of the house and going for a bike ride that's all you need maybe you just need to knock some of the rust off you know because you're in this virtual route routine where you're measuring your happiness by the number of likes you're getting on something you're doing <laughs> online, right? Get out there and don't give a shit what anybody says. Go do your own thing. Be your own one. Eat some dirt. Skin your knees out. You know, <clears throat> I'm not going to advocate for sneaking cigarettes or alcohol, kids. But the point <laughs> is, is be a kid. Get out there and and have some fun and just be. Get out in nature, right? And uh, now that we're this far ahead, we'll say we're in 2022, Wounded Warriors, for example, um, they're not the be-all, end-all. They're a great organization and lots of people there love them dearly. They also have a Little Warriors program so that when mom and or dad are going through PTSD counseling uh, support, there's a program for them so they know where they fit in the big picture. Now now we're talking holistic stuff. This is, <coughs> this is great. This is not 
dad coming home drunk and, and yelling and screaming and then going up in the room to pass out. This is, let's see what the bigger picture is here and everyone has a role. And whether it's an observer or whether it's someone that actually needs the help, you're all in it together, right? The kids knowing that it's not their fault. Um, once I, about five years ago when I was finally diagnosed, that was the biggest thing. Once I started to understand what was going on, I made sure that my kids knew that my temper was not their fault. Me being angry at them wasn't, did not mean that there was something wrong with them. Mm-hmm. There was something wrong with dad. And that was the biggest, biggest thing. Because when you are angry with your children, especially over nothing, you know, over stupid shit, uh, over crumbs on the floor, they internalize that. And they, their inner script is, there's something wrong with me. I'm not good enough. And that is what being angry to your children says to your children, um, whether you want it to or not. And it doesn't, well, that's not what I mean. It doesn't matter what you meant. It's not, <laughs> that's how they're interpreting it. And if you're not aware of that, it's, um, you can't deal with it. You have to be aware that this is the message that's going to the kids. Every time uh, you criticize them, you're telling them that they are not enough. And uh, that is crippling to kids and, and can affect their entire damn life. Mm-hmm. So that was the first thing is uh, telling the kids like, look, uh, that's not you, that's me. And catching myself uh, in the moment or as soon as I can cool down, taking a breath and going, ah, I did it again. God damn it. Okay, boys, gather around. That thing that just happened, and I was really mad that I'm so sorry. It's me again. Uh, there was no reason for me to be, to get that upset. I'm sorry. That is not your fault. That's a me thing. Uh, that is my fault. I take responsibility for it. Uh, and that's something that uh, our parents' generation, I mean, that was pretty rare. You know, I, I it certainly didn't happen with my parents or my uncles or none of them would ever say, okay, uh, that, that backhand I just gave you and loosened your teeth a little, sorry about that. Uh, that was my inability to control my temper. That was not you deserving that backhand. You didn't deserve the loose teeth. That never happened. No. People did not own their shit. But, uh, but that's the truth of it. It is not the kid's fault. It's the responsibility of us to, uh, to keep a, a lid on our shit and to find another way to express ourselves and to remove ourselves from the, de- from the situation, take a deep breath, level ourselves out, then reenter the situation with a clear head. That's on us to leave the room. It's on us to to not damage our kids. It's not on our kids to protect themselves. No. And you know, it's and then and as a segue to that, um, if if you are working for the provincial and or federal government in in, in and this is me on a soapbox here now, and you're putting yourself out there. Yes, you're signing up for a job, but you're also like it, the, the rule of thumb has always been support the troops whether you support the mission or not, right? Like you don't have to agree with the mission they're going to do, but always support the troops. Yeah, it's the, if you don't like a war, talk to the politicians. We don't pick the wars we get to fight. No. We just show up. But the politicians, and if you're listening, need to drive some more accountability out of the public coffers for the post-career um, decompression the, if, if transition to civilian life exactly and and, and it took me three years and and like i said I, I don't think um when i was getting out i had any issues that i needed to deal with but i know it took me 
because of friends that knew me in the military and after they said it, it, I was in a three year transition period. Yeah. Uh, and that was just bumping around, finding my own way. I'm going to tell you it was more than three years. I know that because <clears throat> decisions I made, you know, and, and, and those are, I'll take, <laughs> this is just, they're irrelevant, but they're just, they could be from the mundane uh, for opportunities. I didn't take. How long were you in? Seven, seven years, seven years. Yeah. And uh, two tours. Yep. Yeah, did a UN tour. Um, in, well, we were posted out of Croatia, but we were in Šibenik, running supplies into in Sarajevo, and, and ultimately uh, Velikladusa. And then uh, I stayed. Uh, there was when we were transitioning from the UN to NATO. Um, I was with I four Implementation Force, so we stayed there to wait for that transition to happen. Um, so it was for me. It was back to back, right? And yeah. Everyone went home uh, Christmas 95, and then I stuck around. Me and uh, there was a dozen of us that stayed. And uh, that was considered, because it was another mandate. You're no longer under the United Nations mandate. You're under NATO's mandate. Um, Certainly the... The uh, public perception in Croatia and, and Bosnia Herzegovina, or the former Yugoslavia, um, was w- changed when the berets went from blue to green, right? Yeah. And the trucks got painted green from white. Um, f- for the short term, they stopped shooting at you, you know, like they stopped taking pot shots. Or, hey, what's going on and, over there? Yeah, they would, and and you know, um, your compounds wouldn't be wouldn't be raided as much. Like you wouldn't have kids coming over trying to steal gas and stuff. You know, I mean, we didn't. We had an old dog we called Wrecker, uh, that, like you know, because we're a bunch of mechanics, of course, big old German Shepherd. So we didn't have any thievery going on in our compound in Shibenik, but that was a, a seaport. So I mean, there was lots of access, right? Uh, and then we had our camp down in Primishton, which was like the old auto camp, which was pretty posh compared to some of the other camps you guys would have had to to stay in. So I. I I feel a little bit Hollywood having said that. <clears throat> Primston was. I lived I in a cave for a while. Yeah, yeah, fair. About enough. a month on top of a mountain. Yeah, yeah. And then, well, and then when we started moving, then inland, uh, you know, that's when that's when things changed. And uh, but um, but that was ninety five, ninety six. That's not ninety three. You know, in Medak or, and then I know some of the guys that were there, and uh, yeah, like I'm I'm glad that we were able to accomplish what was needing to be accomplished in those periods as a mature adult now also glad i didn't have to take part in it yeah well i i really feel that uh, god whoever whatever that is to whoever gives us what we're supposed to get and when that opportunity to go somewhere didn't happen that was for a reason that's for your own good Mm -hmm. you know and if something happened uh did happen well that's for your learning and that's how I've always looked at everything, mm. you know. Uh, otherwise, you're just looking back with nothing but regrets. Instead of looking back with regrets, you got to look at the lessons. And um, I mean, I yes, I would have liked to have had a second tour. You know, I, I would have liked to have gone back there again and learn more and learn about the culture and mm. the language and everything else. But um, <laughs> but at the time, I didn't realize I was fried from the one tour I did. You know, it was uh, it was a ridiculous tour for me. Ridiculous from hitting a trip wire and the carrier accidents and getting jumped by Serbs. Like it was ridiculous, all the stuff that that went on. And uh, I was cooked. I was fried. I was done. You know, if I had gone back for a second time, um, I mean, it would have to be a very light tour mm-hmm. <laughs> for um, because I, there's just no more room in the cup for any more big events. Yeah, just can't do it. 
you know, I, yeah, I don't need to recall. I understand. Yeah. 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 <clears throat> One of the lasting things, I mean, beyond like the traumatic stuff, the, one of the things that resonated with me that wanted me like that I wanted to come home about three weeks after getting on the ground was, uh, the refugees, the kids, oh, uh, you know, when we're, when we're going inland <clears throat> and we're stopping just for a convoy break and, you know, you see that whether it's, uh, whether it's refugee camps, whether it's, were you able to provide any aid? Oh yeah. Well, it was, so we conspired to do that. That was off the record. Um, some of the stuff was, a, was, was okay, but like when we would, we would bring in whatever we could, right? It's um, parents would send over gloves and hats and stuff like that. You know, we would st- start bringing, cause you, you're in the, you're in the, the mountains. I mean, when yeah. you're there in the winter, it's, it's a beautiful country. It's fucking cold too, right? Beautiful region. Absolutely gorgeous. Gorgeous. But yeah. when you leave the Adriatic 50 degrees and start heading inland, you mean, you know, it you're gets going, a little chilly. It gets a little chilly. Yeah. So we would bring stuff, but we also had to be careful because if you were giving kids things that had some co- commercial value, that can get them into trouble. And I mean, that can get them hurt yeah, or, killed. or killed. Yeah. Yeah. And so you, you can't go in there and give them a carton of cigarettes. I'm not talking to kids, the moms that were there. Well, you can't even give them a good job because uh, if you pay them too much, they get killed to make up a job opening for the next person. That's right. And, you know, I remember hearing from some of the parents when we were inland, um, they were hoping that some of the Western influence would help their kids um, drop the uh, eye for an eye attitude because with the with the demise of of tito's government over there you know so from 1990 it was 1980 so to 1980 1990 you know that you've got the bosnians the serbs croats muslims i mean everyone that's kind of um that that were usually broken apart and moved around now they're able to start congregating so the kids are growing up the kids are there with the parents with the grandparents so any of those prejudices and or stories carried on through the generation and so and but you uh, can see how it never breaks the cycle i mean when it was your family member your child or your mother or your father who was not just killed but just horribly killed in front of you mm-hmm. uh, which was the story again and again and again and again which i won't get into any detail on but um like we're talking we're not talking about um and some noble battle on the battlefield between two warriors that were evenly matched. We're talking about uh, somebody in the house with his family and uh, six dead, one survivor for for no reason, you know, for no good reason. It was just killing a family in their own home. And, of course, much, much worse. Um, there are worse things than dying, and those things happened. Much worse things than dying. Forgiving that... I don't know how they do it, but that's why wars perpetuate in the Middle East, wherever, because the people that know the real stories that I can't, I've told no one. I've told, I can't, I can't even say them out loud, but I know. And every now and then I hear somebody else that knows and they tell one of the stories and I just cringe. But putting that aside to say, I got to break the cycle, but you don't have a choice. It's either you break the cycle or the war never ends. And being able to forgive the unforgivable, like things that are just beyond, just beyond. Um, as impossible as, it's, as it feels like, there, there's no other choice. You know, and forgiving doesn't mean forgetting. It doesn't mean you're going to be buddies after. 
It just means I'm not going to hold this anymore. The worst crimes that have, you know, of, of history uh, happen in war zones, and they certainly happen in the Balkans. Just bloody, nightmarish. Stephen King couldn't come up with these stories. And um, you've got to put it down. And when people like you and I know those stories, and there's a difference between reading it in a book or hearing it and being there and being told by somebody that lived it. You don't have to witness it because you just lived it if, through them. And uh, that's a different level of knowing. You know it's not a story because nobody in the world would tell these stories if they weren't true. Nobody would. They're just too horrific. And... Um, People still somehow manage to live on and to move on and to push forward and to keep going. and um, But they got that look in their eyes, don't they? Yeah. And, and a lot of that bitterness, I'm sure, came from looking over on the Adriatic coastline and seeing the yachts and life going on as normal, whereas an hour going east, yeah. you know, people are living in, in uh, shanties, right? Like they're living in tarped up, Two by four, freezing cold, surrounded by landmines, looking for water and firewood just to keep them. Yeah, and exactly, exactly, surrounded by by millions of landmines, and the herds of people. The um, saw it a couple of times. Just a great big herd of people, like a thousand people. You know, grandmas with giant bundles of sticks on their back, and little kids and babies in arms, and not a lot of fighting age men. It was just mostly everybody, but, and like a thousand of them coming from God knows where going to God knows where and can't do a goddamn thing to help them. And I think they thought we were there. Like even as a UN, I think they thought we were there to, to for some liberation purposes. And unfortunately that wasn't the mandate, right? I mean, no, just keep you from shooting each other. That's, uh, we're in the middle going now, now, Yes, no, it, no murder today. It's hard to be peacekeepers when peace hasn't been made, right? And yeah. uh, but but that's that's that. I mean, we're getting into the weeds here on that now. And and we didn't have the internet back then, so we couldn't do. We didn't have social media, so we we weren't able to to get the, some insight to the story. We were to, we were told what we were told by our upper echelon, um, and then you know, like I, I still remember doing like field training of, to get ready to go over there, and they had little dinkies models of like the tiger tank and they'd put that out in the field and we'd have to lay down with a pair of binoculars and look at this little dinky and identify it. that was a part of our training uh, and I, th- I look back at now like oh, what a fucking joke that was right <laughs> i mean yeah we did you know you do your fire like even even the old school um uh, weapons training right i mean look at the evolution of it now where back then i mean you know prone position when the hell do you ever get a chance to get in a prone position right laying yeah. on your belly i mean all, all and and a lot of the adaptation that we had when we were over there was done in real time only because we went over there as prepared as we thought we needed to be and then had to make infield corrections right so but that was also i think in a lot of learnings came out of those like those years um including kosovo and and you know pick pick your region but where they had to adapt and start changing our training from the from the fifties, forties, and fifties to current day uh, tactics for for preservation of life, let alone you know <laughs> trying to kick doors down and go find bad guys, right? But so it was uh, like 
I remember when we were coming home, uh, 17% of all enlisted people had faith in the upper echelon of the Canadian forces at the time. Mm-hmm. 17%. And that, that was, high, yeah, right. And that was around the same time that the the uh, airborne regiment was disbanded. True, like uh, Kretchen shut that down. Yeah, uh, cancel EH one hundred one helicopters that got cut down. Froze pay and and raises for five years, pay and promotion. Sorry for five years, right? Like so, we're coming back off of this ninety five ninety six with no line of sight for any any pay raise or promotion incentive. We were on page eight. <clears throat> I remember. I mean. And, and, um, if you're okay with me, you know, bringing up uh, Izzy, uh, Mark. Yeah, um, Mark Isfeld. We had uh, we had a fellow on here. Talked about him at length. Yeah, and I, I didn't know Mark personally, but uh, but his legacy has has left uh, a tremendous uh, imprint uh, in 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 my mind. And I remember um, when that news hit the Calgary Sun, it was on page eight because OJ's trial was on page one. What are the odds that that would happen today, right? Yeah. That would be fucking front and center. And It'd the news we're talking one. about is the day that uh, Mark Isfeld died, which I was there to witness. Yeah, and I'm sorry for your loss, brother, and, and I apologize. I, I hope it's, you don't mind me bringing that up. But no, no, not at all. I didn't know him. I didn't know him. Uh, just, uh, hey, helicopter's coming in, and I saw the helicopter come into Rastovic and saw him get, and uh, whoever the other guy was, I don't even know, uh, getting pulled off that helicopter, and, and that, was, that was where they passed. Right there. Well, I remember our, like there's a memorial, um, a, a cenotaph monument uh, in Primiston. My math might not be right, but I think there were 17 names on that one. And if you were to canvas anyone uh, about those years, early 90s to mid late 90s, and ask them, were they aware that you know we lost 17? And again. Forgive me if I got the math wrong, but we lost 17 folks uh, over, you know, in the early days of uh, the Yugoslav, former Yugoslavia. I bet you 99% would say they had no idea. Yeah, three of them were my friends. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there was, it was, and, and, and lots of variability, some of that mental health related too. Well, the amount of suicides yeah. after was uh, significant. Yeah. I, I think our 2IC in the company um, offed himself. Uh, there's quite a few, quite a few. And of uh, the people that did the double tours, uh, the suicide rate of the people that uh, did back-to-back in a full year in the Balkans all all at once, yeah, they did not fare well. No. You know, the people that did triple tours and everything else. Well, you come home and, and you come home to clearing out, like you you go through the hangar, you get, you know, you get some pay, you get to sign, sign off on some stuff. Uh, and I, I remember even being approached to sign off on uh, a medical document uh, when we were in Shibinik because uh, that, that used to be a refinery. I think there was oil tanks there. Uh, and they wanted us to sign something uh, indemnifying the Canadian forces from any, any long-term health effects from PCBs <laughs> from, 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 you know, the, the, cause what happened was those tanks, I think got blown up in the early days in Shibinik, uh, not tanks, sorry, like vessels that were holding oil and petroleum products. And that stuff got into the dust and that was our main compound for maintenance. So all the vehicles came in there and I remember coming home, like while I was there, I was coughing all the time. And when I came home, I was hacking and coughing for, for months after. Um, I mean, we're talking 20 odd years ago now, so I know there's no cancer related to that. Well, uh, our tour was the tour of the red dirt. I'm sure. I don't know if you've heard of it. Yeah, I have. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the bauxite uh, uh, covering transformers, and we're 
using that for sandbags, and uh, we also signed a document. But um, it was one acknowledging that, okay, you've been exposed to these PCBs, and you may or may not survive the next 10 years. Yeah. Um, all those documents were ripped out of our, of our, of our med docs. Only the reservists mm-hmm. that were attached to unit that are already returned to unit, uh, had their med docs with them. So they couldn't get all, all of them. And of course there was a big investigation and nobody got spanked for it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so every time somebody dies of cancer, you know, lymphonic or, uh, or, or otherwise, I was wondering, Hmm, I wonder if it was the red dirt. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm knocking wood. I'm, I'm going to make the assumption that there was no uh, ill effects, you know, based on my personal experience. But certainly, even the audacity to have, you know, <clears throat> to have an enlisted person um, sign off on that. Like, come on. So, so fast forward to today. Um, my request to the federal government is step up. You're asking these folks to go out and represent the country based on decisions that you're making from <clears throat> from the chamber. Uh, and they're going out and doing it to their best of their ability. And some of them are coming back broken just because they didn't die. didn't mean they didn't give their life. Oh, that's right. Right. Either you die all at once or in pieces. So I, I think while it's, while it's great that there's um, the ability for public or for privately funded organizations to come together for services, for people that need it, uh, I think we also need, you talk about accountability to explain it to your kids, like why, why dad was mad. I think the government would really need to step in and say, okay, you know what? We need to acknowledge we own some of this. And so we need to, to make sure that when they're clearing guys out and guys are asked, like putting in their release, that there's a little bit of a vetting process in that release, pro, you know, that, that they know they're not just kicking them out and then they're going to become homeless. Or And yeah, they ask that you have a job to go to. Anybody can bullshit their way through that. But when they get out there, there's got to be some follow-up. Or There has to be a, a five-year follow-up program. Something. To see to see how you made it or didn't. Yeah. Um, you don't need to support the mission. Yeah. But you got to continue to support the troops. Yeah. Current and past. And, and I know there's, th- there's going to be time periods where okay and then you know you 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 want to hope that trying to get a trying to get a a current or former veteran to be willing to take help like you know whether it's a first responder please fire it's easier now the last five years there's been some big changes yeah and uh the stigma has been because there's it's not just me out there erasing stigma by recovering out loud Mm -hmm. there's lots of us uh, the rolling barrage is spectacular. Absolutely. Uh, Cross Canada relay race, uh, or not a race, a Cross Canada relay ride uh, with motorcycles. You know, um, the, the response from the first responder community giving us a police escort from coast to coast is pretty spectacular. But, but, that, but that's a show of, I mean, and I say show of force, not in a negative connotation, but that what what that is is a show of force, a brotherhood, sisterhood, yep. people coming together to go, you know what, something's going on. This and, and we're we're you, we've got your six, we've got your back, right? Yeah. And and that that's been something that was nailed in into us. Well, in the nineties, that didn't exist. No, it did not. You know, I was one of those guys that was a total wild man. Uh, attacked one of uh, our platoon mates in the platoon room while we we're cleaning. You know, just blew my damn stack and had poor James Bohr, who's still serving. Uh, <laughs> James is a pretty big guy, <laughs> but I had him up against the wall by the throat you know, uh, ready to open them up with my, uh, Leatherman. (laughs) And, um, 
even with stuff like that, nobody put their hand on my uh, shoulder and says, let's go talk to somebody. It was just accepted, you know, and it's like, okay, then the dust settles and away you go. But that wasn't the only time. And I mean, there were so many markers that were that to happen today. Um, there is help. There is going to be somebody putting their hand on your shoulder because the stigma has gone away. The term PTSD didn't even exist in the 90s. You know, uh, it wasn't talked about. There was no part of your clear out process, you know. Um, it was ridiculous. Hey, do your knees hurt? Actually, they do. And the MO was saying, no, they don't. Keep going. But no, actually, <laughs> well, I mean, they it, do, though. And it's funny because when people would say, well, I'm getting a medical release, all of a sudden there's a stigma attached with that. Or if, yeah. if you're getting out uh, on a crazy pension, yeah, like that's a term that was used. In, you know, in, in my days, right? I mean... I haven't heard that one, but I'm not surprised. Yeah, I mean, and 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 then there's the ultimate checkout. I mean, guys that would just, you know, take it into their own hands. But, um, no, I, I too... But but I think for lack of public, uh, like, government support in, in this over the last years, much like you look at who, who are the people that are in these groups that are driving and the advocates for, like, you. And thank you for all that you do to, to get this message out there and your own initiative and your own connectivity and community support and reaching out to get people in to start talking about this because the conversation really is is the the beginning of the bigger uh, turnaround right and um, but it, it's it's the people that that are that are some of the people that are the instigators for all of this change are ex-military first responders right like they're yeah, the, the majority right they're 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 saying Fuck, this is broken got to do something and that was the, and if my son remembers only one thing about the old man when i'm gone is that what would dad do he would do something something it doesn't have you don't have to change the world no but for christ's sake do something and there's I mean, like i said 45 thousand veteran organizations in the states yeah. god only knows how many there are here a lot i can tell you that pick one pick one volunteer support you know share my posts on social media you know um be become be, become part of the recovery army yeah man and uh and and push and donate and throw 50 bucks at one of my episodes boosted on social media with a sponsorship, just click the little boost button, spend 50 bucks on it. Watch what happens. You know, that can save a life. And this show has saved lives all around the world. I saved a life in, um, uh, cause I was his only resource. There was no other resource, just me and not even on the podcast platforms. Cause he get, didn't have that figured out. He would just see the live notification on Facebook and he sit down and watch. Well, he got, gets a hold of me mid-show. I'm recording a show. I'm going to commit suicide today. Well, shit. So as soon as the show, show was done, got a hold of him. We had a video call, used my skills, used my training. And he's that was weeks ago, and he's still alive. And uh, supports are starting to show up. Uh, the veteran community there is, is starting to acquiesce to my requests because um, I know what he needs. And those needs are, are now being met. You know, little by little, slowly. Uh, he's not in Canada, so, uh, but it's it's something, right? And we can all do something. Pick one of these veterans organizations, um, or it doesn't have to be. Pick any food bank and go volunteer there. That sense of service to others, 
is the only way to truly feel good uh, about yourself is if you're serving others. If you're only serving yourself through entertainment, through video games, through drinking, through sex, through whatever it is, if your only thing that you do uh, for activities is entertain yourself, that's a hollow life. And, and it doesn't, you'll, you'll never be happy. You'll, you'll never be happy by entertaining yourself, ever. You have to give somebody something, and that is where you find purpose. And if I can, if I can add on top of that, first of all, Bravo Zulu to you, the military way of saying well done um, f- for all your efforts and also for being being uh, using your initiative to reach out to that brother that needed uh, needed that help. Like that, That's where it starts, one grain of sand, right? Typically when people are at the point of asking for help, they're almost at the edge. Like, oh, yeah. You know, if there's, there's not much time and or space or, or even capacity for that. But if a person that's out there and is in Canada, I mean, I guess you could possibly be in the U.S. as well with the legions. But if, if you're interested at the community level in even exploring the difference that you can make in, in veterans, in your community, with relation to current and former military, join your local legion branch. You don't need to have served in the military to become a member of the Royal Canadian Legion anymore. They have three designations of, of membership. Ordinary members, which are retired, currently serving and or retired military, uh, or RCMP. Um, and in some jurisdictions, I think they could even be municipal policing may also fall under that, but that's, that's jurisdictional point is, is that that's the ordinary member, but then there's the associate member, which would be someone that had, uh, an immediate relative or like a grandparent, uh, in the military, you can join as an associate member and they would just have a couple of questions that you need to validate to get that designation, or you can become an affiliate member which is you may have no connection to any serving member past or present, but you want to be a member of your local branch. Like we, we need that like, cause there's not enough, enough veterans coming in to fill up the legions to run these organizations, but we still are for the good of the community, for the good of, the, of veterans and, and like the poppy drives and the poppy fund, those monies are used for veteran services, but they also support like local cadet corps, like the kids, the kids that are that, that, and I was, Mark, I was one of those kids that if I didn't join cadets at 13, I could have been the one that society would have said, you know what, that kid went off the rails and the reason he's in jail now is because of his, his like his in home environment. Yeah. And they would not have judged me for it. So I joined uh, the 2562 Royal Canadian Army Cadets in Foxtrap, TBS, Newfoundland when I was 13. <clears throat> I don't know if he's still with us, but Major Smith was the commanding officer. Uh, Derek Smith was a commanding officer. Baker by day, commanding super commanding officer by by evening and weekend, uh, and and he actually changed my life by uh, giving me that structure. I mean, I've, I had community structure. I've seen the transformation in the kids. Uh, my oldest is in PPCLI cadets, and it was crushing when that was shut down because of COVID. Crushing. Yeah. You know, all his aspirations. He wants to go to the Vernon camp. All these things. It was all uh, pulled out from under him. And, um, you know, I don't got a lot of dough. I'm on the crazy pension. You know, that's what I got. And that's my income. That's all I have. And it's, uh, and I'm super grateful for it. It's also, you know, it's not a lot, but it's, but it's okay. And it's what allows me to do this show. Mm -hmm. So army cadets, I mean, 
everything else shut down and that shut down. That's why we turned to arm wrestling so we can have something. But he loves army cadets and his PPCLI cadets, which is right, so cool, course. right? And um, and right now my youngest, uh, he wants to get into air cadets, which is cool. Um, but there's none of them that are meeting in person right now because uh, they, they don't have a venue. I'm not sure what all the logistical um, blocks are, but uh, the only cores that are so i can because they're both for tuesday nights so the only ones where i can get them both there's just there's nothing there for them but you see kids that are kind of meek and mild and um uh, and, and you see them come out of their shell mm-hmm. you see them get uh more confident and happy and looking forward to it and i honestly don't even know why you know army cadets wasn't a great experience for me when i was a kid but um it was something and something's better than nothing. But for all the kids I've seen at the PPCLI cadets, um, at, at Curry Barracks is where they muster. It's just fantastic. And they're so committed to it, and they love it so much. And the um, the, the parents' committee that's there, and, and there's other Patricias that volunteer there and teach, you know, Bruce Nichols there, uh, and have an actual uh, veterans <laughs> teaching and helping and guiding. The kids just love it. It's like, oh, my God, you're a real sniper? Yes, Bruce was. I wasn't. But Bruce was. And that's that just blows them away, you know, like, holy smokes, look at that. And... Um, uh, it really has them take you serious too. You know, when we, when we tell you how to do something, they're like, okay. And they, and they listen, but uh, watching the transformation of these kids is just fantastic. And I talking to the parents of the other cadets and they're all telling me these transformation stories of just how fantastic it's been for their kids. Yeah. So losing that for two years, brutal. And it's going to take a lot of, a lot of horsepower to try to regain that momentum again. And, and, but that being said, um, you know, looking at the mass, the masses that are out there and, and because the legions need that kind of support to help drive that, um, if the person is interested and, and like is, is moved by what you just said and think that, okay, let's focus on the kids because the, what we invest in them now will pay dividends 10 years from now, you know, as we get further down the road, yeah. you can, I mean, and if you, if you were to join your local branch of the Royal Canadian Legion and you hated it, then you don't renew the next year right i mean like there's a nominal a very small membership fee but but that money goes into again the coffers about supporting the organization so let's talk about what the legions actually do um there's a lot of chitter chatter in the veteran community a lot of people that can't stand the legion a lot of people that love it Mm -hmm. Uh, and there's also a big misunderstanding of what the legion does so i thought the legion was just a bunch of pubs until i had to dip into the poppy fund Mm -hmm. i was in such a bad way todd oh my god it was so bad. It was when I first reached out for help, you know, of course it was already, I reached out two years too late. I was already uh, just, oh, I was a mess. And um, it was uh, Mike Burgess at the Northwest Command. Yes, Mike, I said your name again. He, <laughs> he never listens to the show, but all kinds of people call the Northwest Command because I keep dropping his name. Like <laughs> but the guy saved my bacon, man. Yeah. Like I was in a bad fucking way. And uh, no way I wanted to say it was PTSD. I didn't want to admit that shit, right? But I didn't know. It took me over two years from diagnosis before I accepted it. I was like, okay, that's true. But um, the Legion helped me when I needed them the most. And quickly, timely, got me in the system, uh, started the claim with VAC and and just got the ball rolling. Without the Legion, I don't know what I would have done. You know, I was in a bad way. Bad way. And... um, 
uh, th- th- that is the legion that I know that really does help people. But they are shit at marketing the the programs. Like people don't know what's available. Yeah, and I, I have some the, some personal thoughts on that. But I mean, ultimately, you're going to have various degrees of 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 legion branch leadership and guidance and and mandates right i mean yes they all do they they follow dominion they follow national commands book of operations right ish. so ish so i mean everyone sees the legionnaire the, the legionnaires the legion uh, members uh, out raising mo- money for poppies uh, selling poppies during remembrance day and and uh, raising awareness of you know the sacrifice of the fallen and but but one of the things I think we, we need to do a better job in is is helping the living while we honor the fallen, which happens to be the motto of Wounded Warriors. So I'm yep. I need to acknowledge that. But but at our local branch, the the demographic is um, like I, I did a we have 184 members in our branch. Uh, not a lot in the 20 to 30 range, there's, there's a couple and that's usually influenced by their parents, right? Kids are joining because the parents are already members. The majority of people fall in that in fifties to eighties. And, and, but when you look at the availability to volunteer, to make all the meetings, to, to run the committees, to do the remembrance day ceremonies, um, which were paused for the last couple of years, but to, to run a poppy campaign, the majority of the people that do that are the folks that uh, that have uh, that are retired. I mean, that's my personal opinion. I'm not saying that that rings true for every branch, uh, depending on on the, the the people. But what happens then is, um, I fear that in some cases, uh, the, the the branches that are losing members, and I mean, I, there have been a lot that have been lost over the last couple of years yeah. through pandemic. A lot of closed branches. Uh, there's been some that have been closed. Uh, ironically, the Okotoks branch increased in numbers. Oh wow! Yeah, uh, um, but we still need to do a better job in marketing what we do. I mean, like, how does that work? Because they, they don't have a building, really. So we we parade at the uh, Elks Hall. Yeah. Uh, but it's it's only a, like we're only a seven year old branch, a seven year old uh, branch, right? Malcolm Hughes, uh, who's the founder of this branch, came from Turner Valley just an adjacent community to Oak Tokes, uh, to start a branch here because there's the population warrants it. Yeah. Granted, they have a beautiful facility and parking, uh, at the branch in Turner Valley and lots of history and nostalgia there. But, uh, one of the mandates right now is they're working on finding a building, you know, some commercial real estate to call their own so they can meet, so they can have a place where. Pe- uh, how, how's the high river branch doing? I've been there. Um, I'm not familiar with them. I mean, I'm, they seem to be still strong and, you know, they, they have a... At both the High River Branch and the uh, Turner Valley Branch, they have swear jars. And I can't even begin to tell you how much this bothers me. Because w- what other pub, what other place where adults get together is there a swear jar? There isn't one anywhere. And to have that, it is so infantilizing. It is ridiculous. And it's also the opposite of what a legion is supposed to be you know uh veterans tend to be a rough and tumble bunch and that's why the legions were there 
because it's like, well, we don't really want you at the local pub. Uh, <laughs> it, 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 that could be a bit of a problem. So let's have a place that's just for you. And the place, and like, Legion used to be a wild place. It would be like the Junior Ranks Club, yeah, yeah. you know, and wild things would happen and chairs would get broken and teeth would get bent and um, and then you just dust up after and everybody looks after everybody and make sure that you got home okay and and it was fine. But that was the point of the place is a place where you could be yourself and blow off steam and live by a different set of cowboy rules that you don't find in in general society. Now it's the opposite. Now it's got more rules than general society and it's not a place where you can let your hair down. It's a place where you got to watch your damn mouth and that is to me, they've got it exactly wrong, Mm -hmm. which is why uh, veterans don't feel... I've been corrected there, for God's sakes, by a civilian uh, lady that works there. You know, it's like, what are you talking about? Like, there's a bunch of us getting together on Remembrance Day, uh, telling stories, having some laughs, and you just took all the air out of the room. And I think that's one of the trade-offs right now from going primarily to only ordinary members to associates and affiliates. Like, the 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 actual having served membership is diluted to the point now where we're a transact society, right? Like it's a transact of, so, I mean, I, I agree with you a hundred percent, you know, when, whenever we get together, even now, like, I mean, I've been, you know, at, at our bond spiels with the Remy bond spiel, like we get together and Jesus, you sit in the curling club and air fillers, people, you, oh, so I'm fucking going down the fucking road and fucking, uh, fucking, you know, like that's, that's a gap filler. And, and it, yeah. it, it's, it just, it just flows, right? You may not do that at work, but when you get in the comfort of, of, you know, your brothers and sisters from days gone by. Yeah, I mean, it's an F-bomb, uh, palooza. It's a verb, a, v- a noun, a vowel, you know, right, you it's name all, it. it's everything. Yeah, you name it. So I think, I think that like, you know, that's probably what, what you're observing in at the branches now. Like I've, I was on the executive last year at our branch and we have a really good cross section of people where we are, um, it's still an 80, 20 rule. 20% of the people are doing 80% of the, the committee work and you know, that kind of stuff. So we, we as a branch need to work on membership uh, engagement and retention. We're not losing them, but I mean, what are you, what else are you doing? But we do have strong ties into like veteran services. So anything that we can fund out of the poppy fund for medical and mental health, they do that. They're, they're highly focused and, and, and engaged on that. So I, I sincerely appreciate their efforts there. Well, maybe we'll get a little arm wrestling club uh, going at the Elks Hall there. <laughs> well, we do have sports. We have a sports committee, right? Yeah, and well, uh, I'm, I'm dead serious when I say that. Yeah, sure, man. We'll, we can bring anything forward. And I mean, three of the members of Haggis are, are uh, members of the local branch here too. Yeah. So, um, you know, we have associate affiliate. Uh, no, actually, I think I think both of the boys are associate members. But, um, but the point is, is that we're trying to... to, to raise the attention of it it's a new branch i think that's breathing some new air which may that's going to mean new new people new ideas new directions well maybe i'll join back up again. right well throw it throw your hat in there i know a couple of decent cats in there man and we'd All love, right. to, love to and you know if you're going to be auditioning as a fourth member of the band uh it never hurts to have a card. <laughs> i play the skin flute <laughs> we're not that kind of band <laughs> Todd, I think we're about there, bro. Right on, brother. Um, thank you so much for for being on today. It's one of the longer episodes I've had, which I like. Which is it's it's the beauty of uh, doing doing it in person and having one of the live, uh, you know, in studio deals. But thanks for all the work you do. I'm so glad that you were acknowledged. Acknowledging one acknowledges us all, and by 
having that uh, that award that was given to you and being on the front page of the Western Wheel, um, that is a signpost for other people to say, hey, you know, uh, maybe I'd like I'd like to contribute too. And uh, thank you so much for all the work that you do for not just the veteran community, but for the community at large and all the lives of all the children that you have changed. And uh, you've just done so much, brother. Uh, you're going straight to heaven, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> well, wherever that's going to be, I, I, I'm hoping I'm hoping so. But right now, I'm just going to try to keep calm and carry on on the ground here. Uh, thanks thanks for the extra air time. Anyone that knows me know I have the right to remain silent, Mark, but I lack the ability. The ability, yeah. You <laughs> but, uh, and me both. Appreciate now. the time, brother. It was good, good chat. And uh, if you are in the Foothills region, come on down to Hubtown tonight and uh, enjoy Haggis, the band of bands. We all love them. You're listening to Operation Tango Romeo, the Trauma Recovery Podcast for veterans, first responders, and their families. Hello, my friends. Thank you for sharing your time with me today. I hope you found value in today's episode. If you found this episode helpful, healing, or informative, please let me know by leaving a rating on either Spotify or Apple. And please share, share like the sugar bear on all of your social media channels. Because sharing is caring.